welcome back to today's edition of Fresh New Shorts, a collection of short stories written and read by the author. This series is following the collection of stories found in the book A Physicist's Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena by John Blackmore. This week's story follows a family with high expectations for their trip, old guidebooks, and more baggage than what they checked for their flight. The White Gorilla was shortlisted for the Writers Union of Canada National Short Story Competition. The White Gorilla My father sat on the other bed, whistling out air like a pinpricked beach toy. I stared at his pale legs, exposed by the short, white, terry cloth robe, and then up to his face, flushed red, running down the hallway. I shouldn't have to sleep in the same room as my sister. You shouldn't have made me, I said. He opened his mouth, but closed it again, and stared deeply into the rust wallpaper. It was a bamboo pattern, a faded orange jungle like the bedspreads. I knew what he was going to tell me. This was his anniversary vacation, and maybe he wanted to sleep one night with his wife, away from Tanya and me. After all, it was their lucky year. Mom and Dad had been married for 17 years. Their anniversary was August 17th. We were nine days into our 17-day trip, and my father's ability to blow happiness into our limp sails was flagging. She's making it up, I said. I'm too young to really snore, and she wouldn't care if I was having a seizure anyway, I said. Doesn't matter, new room assignments, he said. But I'm going back to the success to get the guidebook and a drink. The other room's called the Sussex, I said. This room's the Wessex. He waved a hand to say, whatever. The charm that was England was now lost on him. Do you think it's a good idea, the guidebook, I asked. He stopped at the door. So, we had a wrong turn today at the haunch. Found Newton's grave for us, didn't I? And the crown jewels. Everyone forgets that. How many people in Whitby have seen where the greatest scientist who ever lived is dead? And the biggest jewels in the world? Found this hotel, didn't I? I looked around at more orange than I had ever seen in one place. I'll tell your mother everything's okay. He shut the door. Most people would describe Dad as an extravagant man. As a salesman, he always went the extra mile. Give people something for nothing, he said. Throw in the delivery, free pillows, a matching tie. People love gifts, no matter how small. Nobody feels loved enough. However, we knew his odd strands of thrift. We flew first class to Heathrow, and he smoked French cigarettes with pastel filters on the flight but he bought second-hand guidebooks for 50 cents. Not like they've added a new line to the Magna Carta or buried another poet in Westminster Abbey. This afternoon, while we've waited at a BP station for Tanya, he told us about a Fodor's Choice pub two towns away. The haunch of venison has the best bangers and mash south of London, he read, tapping the page. And get this, there's a mummified hand holding a candle over one booth, If the flame goes out while you're sitting there, it's said, you'll die that night. That's just gross, Tanya said, still shaking her hands dry. She was wearing too much rouge again. 
best bangers in MASH is an ox-e moron. My mother's lips were a flat line of enthusiasm. I think it'd be cool to see a mummy's hand, I said. It's a mummified hand, Tanya said. Big difference. My father started the car and pulled out into the wrong lane. Charles, my mother hissed, not even looking at him. Like most kids, I didn't know what spark brought them together, what breath fanned their flame. Mostly I saw what drove them apart. They were caged lions pacing ruts in our mint carpets. We parked outside the mummy's pub, now simply called The Haunch. A sign promised, Gentlemen's Supper. Dad led the way. Who's up for bangers, he said. I was first in the door. I sucked in my breath. A woman with huge, bouncing breasts was dancing on stage while holding a bright yellow parrot on her arm. My father train-wrecked into me, and then mother and Tanya. Charles, my mother hissed. A man came running from behind the bar. I don't think you're in the right place, he said. Chest hair coiled out from under his shiny jade shirt. Dad held the guide defensively. He ignored the man and top-heavy girl, focusing on the paragraph, his finger trailing the words. There's a mummified hand, he said, tapping the page. The man looked at where my father was pointing. He took a moment to read it. The dancer transferred the parrot to the top of her head. I bought this plast two year on. We sent him his mummy hand. The ladies, he motioned to the woman vibrating with the bird, were creeped by it. Mother was waiting in the car for us. It said in the guide, my father said. For God's sake, she said. He put the guide down. But you have to admit, just drive. In the right lane, which is the left. Dad had returned to our Wessex room with the old photos and a flask in his bathrobe pocket. He flopped in the other bed and poured himself a drink. What do you think so far? The vacation? He nodded. It's really cool. What did they think? He hooked his thumb back to the Sussex. I hesitated. I think they're, you know, having fun. He took a long, hard drink. Having fun. He combed his hand through his hair. After I booked the flights and London Hotel, she said she'd rather go to Florida. Florida. I hadn't known Florida was on the table. Florida has Disney World, I said. It's all just fake. There's no wonder in that. They're plastic people with plastic tans and plastic smiles. This, this is real. He pointed around our orange and bamboo room with his flask. When you're in sales, you have to make people trust you. You have to be someone they think they remember meeting once before, even if it's the first time you lay eyes on each other. With love, it's the same. You'll learn this, Jerry. But it's more. You have to be someone she knew, and at the same time, someone she never expects. You know how you've got to delight your customer? I've told you that. With a woman, you've got to keep her surprised. You've got to amaze her. He took another long swallow. She just doesn't expect surprises anymore. Dried toast leaned in the silver rack, served with cold boiled eggs 
and a bowl of blue sweating plums. How are the travelers? Slept well? Dad asked. Let me eat something first, my mother said. Breakfast heartily, because I have a surprise for you today. He looked at me and winked. I didn't know what he had in mind. I had fallen asleep while he read me things from the guidebook. Dad paused dramatically. We're this close, he pinched two fingers to indicate the width of a fly's wing, to the world's only albino gorilla in captivity. Can you believe it? Can you? My mother put her toast down. I didn't know what she was going to say to that, when all she wanted was palm trees and Daytona Beach. But a wisp of a smile played over her face. Dad's lit further. A white monkey, Tanya said. Mom's smile caught and held. A white ape, she corrected Tanya. God, Dad, we're going to see a white ape, Tanya whined. He nodded, not taking his eyes off my mother. Albino gorilla. There's a zoo just outside Dorchester, he said. You'll be one of the few people in the world, certainly one of the only people in Whitby, ever to see an albino gorilla. Dad and I squeezed into the hotel's lift with the suitcases. On our first date, I took your mother to the Canadian National Exhibition. She used to laugh a lot. He put the suitcases down to flex his hands. She wanted to be a nurse then. I was going to play baseball for the Expos. At the milk bottle pitch, I won her a stuffed toy. The elevator continued to edge slowly to the lobby. I turned to him. Suddenly it all came together. The stuffed toy. You won her a white gorilla. He clapped me on the back. I told you this was our lucky year, Jerry. Dad drove with a map of southern England on the steering wheel, reorienting it by taking us into the wrong lane from time to time. We kept turning off onto smaller roads, beckoned by the occasional signpost for Swithin Zoo, and one that noted Snowball, the world's only albino ape. Winding our way through a dank forest, we came to a great gate and overhead sign, Swithin Zoo. Underneath, in fading letters, Home of Snowball. Dad turned to my mother and grinned. We parked with a handful of other cars, and he sprang out ahead of us. Four, or the family price, to see Snowball, the albino gorilla, he said. A young girl worked in the ticket booth. She was heads down in a British music magazine and finished her paragraph before looking up. Twenty-two quid, but the ape's long gone, she said. Dad turned his head to one side, positioning an ear for better hearing. Pardon? That means twenty-two pounds. They're like dollars, she said in a broad American accent. I mean about Snowball. He's gone. He died. I don't think I heard you right. Snowball is dead. Monkey heaven. She bent her elbows into her thin frame and flapped her hands like angel wings. Dad shook his head as if to clear something. He leaned into the booth. Can you call the owner? Charles, my mother said. Dad turned to my mother and grinned. He held up a hand and smiled. It was all under control. Mom smiled back, 
All this morning they had seemed different, transformed, loosened. Now I could see rigor mortis settling back in. The owner wheezed his way towards us. He was a big, bald man with a handlebar mustache that sagged into a frown. He mopped his forehead with a bright purple rag. Dad was undeterred by his size. Your sign said you have an albino gorilla, Dad said. We should take it down, seeing as he's dead. Your sign said there is a gorilla. I want to see the gorilla. I told my family I would show them a gorilla, an albino one at that. Charles, my mother said. It was her soft voice, her sad one. Dad swung round to my mother. He promised us a gorilla. He turned back to the man. We've flown all the way from Whitby, Ontario, Canada, to see your gorilla. We've driven down your windy roads on the wrong side and eaten your awful kidney pies and slept in your tiny rooms. Now I want to see the gorilla. But I said he's dead, the owner paused. I've some quite remarkable sheep. Dad moved quickly, his face six inches from the owner's chin. I can see sheep at home, he said. Charles, it's okay, my mother said. No, it's not okay. Seventeen years ago, when we married, I promised you a great life, a life filled with wonders. And now, and now you've come to hate me because it's not. It's an effing average life. It's not even effing average in a good way. It's effing average in a put-you-to-sleep way, in a cut-off-all-my-nerve-endings way, in a why-the-hell-am-I-taking-up-space-on-this-effing-planet way, in a why-don't-we-drink-ourselves-silly-every-night-so-we-can-pass-out-and-forget-how-effing-boring-we-are. I didn't expect... There! See? It is boring. You're going to say you didn't expect wonders, but you did, and you just admitted there are none. Well, there. I was going to change that. I was trying to find us the freaking albino gorilla of the Salisbury Plain. You remember when I won you the stuffed white ape? This would be a turnaround, a wonder. It could be the restart, the new day one. There would be the time before the bloody white ape and, and the glorious age after. Bald owner was locked by Dad's tirade. Dad dug into his pockets and started ripping out pound notes. I'm paying you now to take us in and show us the goddamn albino gorilla. The man was as white as the ape must have been. He took the balled-up fists of bills and stuffed them in his pants. You can see his old cage or where we buried him. We'll see whatever you have left of the goddamn ape snowball. We walked past dingy cages of bleeding animals. There were a lot of sheep, signs in front of the bars proclaiming rare breeds. We have a tiger, the man said. We have tigers in Canada, Dad said. The man stopped, wiped his brow again. He pointed at a weedy part of ground near an oak tree. He's down there. Dad bent on one knee and put a hand on the grass. You didn't even give him a grave marker? The man pointed to the oak tree. A small brass plaque was nailed into the wood. For Billy, a great ape, a great friend. 1960-1977, he read. I thought his name was Snowball, Dad said. 
For the circus. We used to perform together, but that's no name for an ape. His real name was Billy. Dad put two hands on the grass. He looked up at my mother. She hesitated, but then knelt down beside him and put her hand on his back. She toyed with the hair at his neck. Charles, the white ape's gone, she said. He nodded, but he didn't want to move. I have a picture of him, the owner said. We used to sell them. In the photo, Billy was out in the open air, and it looked like springtime. He was covered in a white coat of fuzz like wool. His pink eyes were soft, sad, otherworldly. His mouth was in a wistful smile, as if there had been a joke some time long ago. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, rate us five stars wherever your podcasts are available and subscribe for more. You can find the ebook, A Physicist Guide to Love, on Amazon. Come back and give us a listen again. <laughs>